For six months at Rock Valley Bible Church, we've been working our way through Romans 12. And um, 21 verses in that chapter, and I preached 18 sermons on that chapter. And, and the reason why I, I worked so slowly through the text is because I saw this sign that was just saying, hey, slow down, slow down. In 21 verses, there are more than 40 direct applications for us. And rather than just zipping through and just being, here's the word, rather than doers only, I, I, I took my time and uh, just sought to go slowly through those. Well, this morning we're, we're turning the page and we're focusing now on Romans chapter 13. And, and as for me, it's, it's interesting, this is literally turning the page. I have Romans 12 right here. If you look at my Bible, come right down here towards the end. Here's verse 21. And I turn the page. Now I'm Romans chapter 13. And so you can open your Bibles there. We're, we're going we're gonna to be there. If you didn't bring your Bible, page 1060, I'm sorry, page 948 in your pew Bibles where you can find that. And as we come into chapter 13, we, we really need to, to see that there was a lingering question at the end of chapter 12. At the end of chapter 12, if you look there in verse 21, Paul says, so I have it on the screen there, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And throughout the chapter, particularly in verse 14 and following, he's just giving example after example after example of of what he means by this. He he means that when when people do evil towards you, don't do evil in response, but do good in response. And, And we see one example in verse 14, where it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Right? And, and the idea here is this, if people are mean to you, right, they persecute you, whether it's for your stand for righteousness or because of your faith in Christ or, or whatever reason, they're, they're hurling insults at you, don't you hurl insults back, but instead speak kindly to them, bless them, and catch it, verse 21, by doing so, trust that this is the way that you can overcome those who are, are persecuting you. Or verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. The same idea as verse 14, right? When people do evil against you, don't repay them evil in kind, but rather, right, when they strike you or malign you or hurt you, don't retaliate. Rather, take the high road and and, and do what's honorable and and let it pass and realize that that taking the high road and doing what's the honorable thing, realize that's the way that you overcome the evil of others. Or verse 19, same concept. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For as written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, Paul brings up the situation where wrong's been done. You're not to take justice into your hands, but you're supposed to leave it to the Lord. As I said last time, two weeks ago when I was, I was preaching, is don't take God's job away from him. God's job is to, to enact vengeance and, you know, that he won't be too strict. He won't be too lenient. He'll get it right exactly. You will mess up. But let God take his own vengeance. To the contrary, right, rather than doing that, you are to do good. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, right, returning evil with good, you will heap shame upon your opponent. He'll, he'll perhaps regard the error of his ways and the evil will stop. And in this way, you will overcome evil with good. This is the God-ordained means by which we should overcome evil in this world, is by doing good. Now, 
at this point, there, there comes this huge question. Okay? The huge question is all about justice. What about justice? Like, if we just return ev- good for evil and all this evil is done to us, who, who's, who's going to make it right? Is Paul telling us to, to lay down and be a doormat and just be stomped by other people and, and to be a pacifist? Just, just letting others just do what they want with us without any consequences, without ever standing up for what's right in this world? Right? What about justice? Right? I mean, if genuine evil is done, will it ever be made right? What, 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 about, what about God? Will God uphold his justice and how? Well, do I just have to wait for eternity or is there some recourse that I have today? And Paul answers these questions in Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7. Let's just read them. It says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but to bad. Would you then have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, tax to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. And the answer to the issue of justice, which comes to our mind at the end of chapter 4, right? We're thinking about... We're thinking about that. The answer, that's the government, it's the police, it's the military. They're the ones who have the force to carry out justice. They carry the guns. They have the handcuffs. They have the jails. They have the courts. And you see this particularly in verse 4. Let's just go back and review that again. It is he, that is, the government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Here it is. For he, the government, is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. See, the government has the sword and should use it to promote justice. The government is your your avenger on your behalf. And really, that's the answer to the question raised in chapter 12, right? When wrong, don't seek your own personal vengeance but rather leave it to God. And when leaving it to God, God has left it then to our, our government. And we ought to right, not seek our own revenge, but we ought to leverage the government to make it right. A great example of this is, uh, is the Willis family. Maybe some of you know that family. 20 years ago, um, this event happened. If you were around that long, then you know about this. But um, Scott Willis is a pastor of Parkwood Baptist Church in the south side of Chicago. And November 8th, 1994, uh, his church was being used for, as a polling place for elections. November's election time, and so he used that as an excuse to visit his, uh, his son, who was a wrestling coach just west of Milwaukee. And so he was northbound on uh, I-94. He's driving his Chrysler Voyager with his wife, Janet, his six kids in the car, 10.30 in the morning, cruising along the highway until the van ran over a piece of steel 
and had fallen off some truck. A freak accident. The minivan burst into flames in seconds. There's his family. Minivan burst into flames. And Scott later said, We hit the object. The rear exploded, taking the car out of control. Fire around us was around us before the van stopped sliding, and I was yelling, Get out of the car. I mean, just somehow the gasoline tank exploded with this steel. Who, who knows exactly what? He, he had to go through flames in order to get his own seatbelt off, is, is what he had to do. And, and he got his off, and his wife got his off. They got out of the car. Their oldest son, Ben, got out of the car, but trapped inside were five of their children. And they all died at the scene of the accident. Ben was taken to the hospital in Milwaukee and died the next day. And they had a, a very sad funeral. There were five caskets because two of the youngest, one was only like six months old, were, were buried together. It was a tragedy of tragedies. And the investigation into the death brought forth political scandal. The, the driver of the rig, the lost piece of metal on the highway, had bribed a license official in order to get a license. Furthermore, he demonstrated neglect on that morning because he was driving by. Other truck, truckers were trying to tell him, hey, there's, there's something back there that's going to fall off your truck. But he was oblivious to that because he was ill-qualified to drive such a truck. And later on, investigations revealed that he wasn't the only driver. Many drivers had, had received their license illegally by bribes. Massive governmental corruption was exposed, sent dozens of state employees to jail. And uh, including former Governor George Ryan. But listen to Scott and Janet Willis apply Romans 12 and 13. Here's the, here's the letters they wrote 12 years later as it's still working its way through the court system. Here's what they wrote. Janet wrote this. My husband and I have prayed and asked God to keep us from bitterness and to help us be faithful to him. And he has We tried to honor God by not complaining, but there is a time to speak. And I'm sharing these facts only because I believe if justice rules, wrongdoing will be deterred. And then Scott wrote this. Janet and I are ordinary people, not powerful, not forceful. Our children brought us great joy. Benjamin, Joseph, Samuel, Hank, Elizabeth, and Peter were like anyone else's kids. Playful, happy, mopey, energetic. The boys loved reading and sports. Elizabeth was her mom's shadow and her doll's mom. We love them, we miss them, but we do not despair. We live with a God-promised hope in Jesus Christ. Almost 12 years have passed since November 8, 1994. The heartache remains, but it has softened. Janet and I have prayed to not have a bitter or vengeful spirit. These feelings have only occasionally flared up, but have not consumed or dominated our thoughts and they're not the motive for this letter. Okay, and here's, here's the sentence I want you to hear. It says, Our thoughts are not on punishment. That's for the court to decide. Our thoughts are not on, on punishment. That's for the, the courts to decide. Romans 12, they didn't seek their own revenge. We're not thinking about punishment. Romans 13, it's for the governmental authorities to avenge. It is for you to decide and there's Romans 12 and 13. That's exactly how it looks. When someone does something wrong to you, your thoughts are not on punishment. Your thoughts are not on venging. But rather, you leave it to the authorities to venge appropriately. We left it to the court to decide. And, and in their case, as, as far as earthly possible, justice was served with the many people who went to jail. For those who did wrong, the Willis family 
were rewarded $100 million in their lawsuit. And God's blessed their family. Um, Through their three oldest children who weren't with them that day, they now have 34 grandchildren. The three oldest were not in the crash. It's a little bit like Job. If you read for us, Dallas, he lost all his 10 children. But after that tragedy, God restored and, and helped. But their, their attitude from everything I know has been a great mix of Romans 12 and Romans 13. Not personally vindictive against the governor or this driver, but willing to put it in the court's hands and willing to get what is due so that justice might, might reign. It's interesting that they refer to Isaiah 26, verse 9 and 10. It says this, When God's judgments come upon the earth, The people of the world learn righteousness. And though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil. So in other words, just just showing grace, showing grace all the time is 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 what the on the personal level is what we ought to do. But you do that, then the wicked will continue that. That's why we need the authorities with the sword who will bring the justice at the appropriate time. And that's exactly what what verse four says of Romans He's a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. But verse 4 is really in the middle of our text. Verse 1 is the beginning of the text, and it's really the the main point. The answer of verse 4 answers the question of chapter 4, but in order to have chapter 12. But to get there, he goes through the application, which is chapter 13 and verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. She repeats in verse 5, therefore, one must be in subjection. So he's got these two commands in Romans 13 uh, about how we need to submit ourselves to the authorities, how we need to be in subjection to the same thing. And in so doing, that's how we deal with the avenging of the wrath of the wrong or the, the avenging of, of the wrong. That's where I, I get the title of my message this morning, right? Submit to authorities, Romans 13, 1 through 4. And really the rest of the passage is, is reasons why we should submit to authorities, And notice it is for all of us, chapter 13, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That's everyone. That's all of us. No exceptions to this application from the smallest child to the oldest grandparent. The exhortation is the same. We need to be subject to the governing authorities. And so my outline this morning, we're just going to get through the first four verses. And next time we're going to look at verse 5. Therefore, one ought to be in subjection, and we'll, we'll deal with some different manifestations of what it means to submit yourself to the, to the government, to submit yourself to the authorities, particularly in how we speak, how we act, what our perspective is. And I say that'll be a timely word for people, for us, in our government nowadays, in our people nowadays, that whatever has this strong animosity towards the government, we ought to honor those whom honor is due. We'll talk about that next time. But this time, we're just going to look at the the four reasons that God gives us why we need to be subject to the governing authorities. First is that God establishes the authority. Chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. This is a sweeping statement. There's not a single authority that exists except from God. And the authorities that do exist have been established by God. Daniel 2.21 says it this way. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Any king 
in power is there because God's hand has placed him there. Wicked kings and righteous kings alike. Those in the early church knew full well that Herod and Pontius Pilate, who crucified and killed Jesus Christ, the Messiah, they were placed there, the sovereign hand of God. Acts 4.27. And our president and our past presidents were established at the hand of Almighty God. So that's President Trump, established by the hand of God. It's President Obama, established by the hand of God. President George Bush, if we keep going back, President Clinton, Herbert Walker Bush, Reagan, I'm going from memory here, I'm not, not totally prepared, Carter, Ford, Nixon, help me, who's before Nixon? Johnson, Eisenhower maybe? Kennedy, before Kennedy was Eisenhower. Maybe some of you are Googling it. All those presidents from Washington and Jefferson and right on down. All set in place by the sovereign hand of God. God sets up kings and God removes kings. And verse 1, it's interesting. It's a, it's a general statement. It goes just beyond government. This is, this is true all across the board to authorities in general. You show me an authority in this world, and I'll show you something that God has established. I'll show you people that God has set in place, whether it's small or great. And we start from the, the smallest unit, perhaps the family. God has placed families and fathers and mothers in a family as authorities over their children. Acts 17, that God has determined the times and habitations of our life. He determines when we live. He determines where we live. I believe he determines our family. He establishes authorities from parents to workers and bosses. I believe he establishes that. You're you're at your job by divine design. Church leaders over the flocks are established by God, the authority of government. So we just, we just go bigger and bigger and bigger into to different ways. And these authorities have been established by God. We are to submit ourselves to these authorities. Now, the, the thing that's, that's good about this is that God has placed them there for our good, for our blessing. And you see, whether it's the, the parents, children, your parents are there for your blessing. Whether it's bosses are there for your blessing. The church leaders are there for your blessing. Well, as citizens, the authorities have been set there for our blessing. And, and, and we'll see that in Romans chapter 13, right? The authorities are there. We should submit to them. They're for our good if we do that. If we don't, then it's going to be for our bad. And I'll just show you that over and over again with parents and, and uh, the workplace and church and, and finally the government. But I just encourage you, as you think about submitting to your authorities, who are the authorities in your life? As you think about submitting to them, maybe they're teachers for students or authorities in your life. Maybe it's the, the president of your, your condo association. Or maybe it's some organ, or other organization where you are. There, there's a leader. Maybe it's a coach. We are to submit to them as our, as our good. And, and I, let me just share your perspective that, that I have in terms of the church. For as long as I can remember, right, when elders of the church have gotten together, I have always had my ears attuned and listen to what's said and what directives have been given to me as it comes from the voice of God. I've considered the elders' voices to be in my life the voice of God. And I know that as I submit to those voices, that it will go well with me. 
it'll go better with our church. If I don't, it'll go worse. And so let's just think about parents and children. I would encourage you children of the same attitude over your parents that I have in the elders meetings. You just think about, I got parents and they are my authorities. I need to see them as being God's voice in my life. I need to obey them. Children, Romans 6, uh, Ephesians 6, 1, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And, and the good thing is that obeying them brings good to you. Parents, now's a good time to nudge your children, right? Children, obey the parents because it's good for you. Listen to Ephesians 6, 2, and 3. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment of the promise. And here's the promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Children, God has placed your parents over you so that you can obey them so that God will bless you. But when children disobey their parents, they just go outside the scope of protection and oftentimes live a life of hardship. You who work for bosses, just encourage you the, the same way. And, and maybe you don't have a boss, but you're, you're independent. Maybe you got a customer as ultimately you're working for. You're working for somebody Okay, I want you to just think about having the same attitude that God has placed your boss in authority over you. They are the voice of God in your life. They will tell you what to do, what, what responsibilities you have, and how you need to bring them to pass. You need to obey them. Ephesians 6, 5 is in that context, servants and masters, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. We are to serve our bosses as we would Christ. That's the idea. Your boss is the voice of God in your life. And obeying them is a good thing. Ephesians 6, 5, continuing on. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. Doing the will of God from your heart. Rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to men. So many times here, he's just saying, you serve him like you would Christ. And you're doing the will of God from your heart, right? Obeying your, your boss is the will of God for your life, from your heart. It says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or free. So as you obey your boss, as you do what he says, you submit to him, it's a good thing. The good thing you sow in submission, you will receive back from the Lord. This is pattern of authorities and how we need to submit to them and things go well for us. As we scope from family to work to church, I share this application with with fear and trembling a bit because it might seem self-serving, but it's not. It's the same pattern. I, I would encourage you all to submit to the elders. God has placed elders, authorities in your life for your good. Obey your leaders, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, and submit to them. And the good news is, when you submit to the elders, it's good for you. And it's good for us. So obey your leaders, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So you submit to elders, there's joy there, that's an advantage to you, it's good for you. And I know from personal experience that when conflict arises between pastors and pe- people and there's a struggle for power, it's a joy for nobody. Not for pastors, not for peoples, and curses come. But when there is, is right submission, the church runs well, and there's joy and blessing. 
to all. Now, it's, it's interesting. When we as a small group looked at this a couple weeks ago, we started talking about it. All of a sudden, where are the exceptions? Well, when don't I have to obey? When don't I? And we'll, we'll get to that, okay? But, but there's no exceptions here, all right? Now, there are exceptions, okay? We'll, we'll talk about them next time in terms of if someone's telling you to do something that's not what God tells you to do opposite, then you need to do that. All right, there's something illegal, then you don't do that. I mean, there are times to disobey this. But I would say those are the exception that prove the rule, probably. But I'm just preaching what the verse says, which is just obedience, submission to, to the elders. Now, I just want to show you that same theme that we saw in Ephesians 6 with parents and children, that we saw with, with servants and masters, the same thing we saw with church leaders and church people. We also see with government and citizens, exactly the same pattern through Romans 13. We're to submit to them, and doing so, it'll do well for us. Right, look at verse 2. It says this, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, for those who resist will incur judgment. Here's my second point, is resisting authority is resisting God. Just as God gives parents to children, his authorities to be obeyed, and just as God gives bosses to workers as authorities to be obeyed, and just as God gives church leaders to churches as authorities to be obeyed, so also God gives governmental authorities as authorities to be obeyed. And to resist their authority is to resist God Himself. Therefore, verse 2 whoever resists the authority resists. What God has appointed. And from time to time, I, I meet people who, uh, who resist the authorities in their lives. Uh, there's just an independent streak in them that they often are, are often doing their own thing. And there's often this pattern that people with problems of authority, oftentimes it begins in the home. Where you have children who have rebelled against the, the authority of their parents. There's constant conflict. They resisted the way. Maybe they moved out early and they go, they're going to go their own way. And, and these people oftentimes then have problems at work, right? Their boss, they got a problem with their boss who's always telling them what to do, always complaining about how terrible and unreasonable their bosses are. And they go from job to job to job because they have an authority problem. And sometimes these people come into church and resist the leadership of the church. They think that they know better and they stir up strife and contention because they've, they've got it. It's their, they, their own way and they have a problem with authority. And I just say this. Those with an authority problem are those with a God problem. Because God has established the authority to resist the authority is to resist God. Therefore, verse 2, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. Salvation is an authority issue. Romans 10.9. This is, this is a call to salvation. It says this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? right? Confessing Jesus Christ as what? Lord. You know what Lord means? That means authority over your life. If you want to be saved from your sins, the very first thing you need to do is confess that Jesus Christ is now my Lord. He can tell me what to do. I have now stepped out of serving myself and I have stepped now into serving the Lord. It's a matter of who's going to sit on the throne of your life. Are you going to sit there proudly? Or will the Lord? 
Are you going to do what you want to do? Or are you going to submit to what the Lord says? And maybe you're here this morning and have an issue with authority. Just know that it may come down to the issue with authority of God in your life. Is Jesus Christ Lord? Is he the master? Is he the one who's sovereign in your life? Resisting authority is resisting God. And when you resist God, bad things happen. So Paul continues in verse 2. He says this, And those who resist will incur judgment. And particularly judgment from the government. That's how it works, right? You speed, you get pulled over, issued a ticket, and you pay a fine. If you steal, you go to jail and make restitution. If you harm another person... You'll be sent to prison. If you take a life, your life will be taken. That's justice in the ideal world. Now, there's lots of failures in our justice system. And probably many of you are thankful for the failures in the justice system. When you're speeding by the policeman and he doesn't pull you over, it's amazing. You're like, I'm okay. You don't want justice, right? You, you want justice for the other guy who's speeding or runs a run light. But you don't want justice for yourself oftentimes. Right? But in the ideal world, justice is affected all the time. It's the government's role. It's not our role in the church to do that. It's the role of the police officer. It's the role of the courts. And if you disobey, you will bring judgment. But likewise, if you submit to the government, it will bring blessing to your life. That, that's, that's, that's my third point. Submitting to authority brings blessing. This is exactly how it was with children and parents. This is exactly how it was with bosses and, and workers. Exactly how it was with church leaders and church. Submitting to authority brings blessing. Look at verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. In other words, if you're an upstanding citizen and you submit to the authorities, you'll have no fear when the policeman pulls you off by the side of the road. You're like, oh, what, what did I do? What did I do? I, I don't think I did anything. You'd be, right, there's natural uh, what are, trepidation there. But you won't have fear. And he'll just say, well, your taillight was out. Oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for letting me know, right? He lets you go. But if you aren't speeding or doing something wrong, you, you don't have fear. Or, or you'll have no fear when the letter comes from the IRS in the mail because you say, I, I've submitted, I've paid my taxes, I'm good. I don't have any fear. And that comes here and your heart will probably start beating. You're like, oh, what is this? And then you'll be, oh, okay, but I'm, I'm okay. You'll have no fear when you're audited by the IRS because you've done what's right. And we're going to talk about paying taxes, verse 7, next, next time, um, taxes with a, a good attitude and a right heart. But if you're an upstanding citizen, you have no fear when you pass through security in the airport because you have nothing to hide. I'm good. And that's the idea here, that, that rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So if you have good conduct, the rulers won't bring terror into your life. And so if you don't want to be scared of authority, then simply do what is right. Do what is good. And you not only will, will not be fearful of them, but they will in turn approve you. But if you aren't submitting to the government, listen, you have every reason to fear. In Leviticus 26, the Lord is listing out a bunch of curses for those who refuse to obey the Lord. God's promises bring blessings, and God's curses to disobedient people will bring disease and famine and oppression. 
And think about one of these curses is this. So it's deep in the law. He says, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight. And they shall flee as one flees from the sword and they shall fall when no one pursues. Those who are wicked, who aren't walking rightly, are fearful even of a rustling leaf. You're doing wrong. You're, you're, your eyes are attuned to whoever's around to catch you, perhaps. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues because there's fear, because you've done something wrong. But the righteous are bold as a lion because there's nothing to fear, governments. And when you're submitting to governmental authorities, you can walk in boldness and confidence. That's what verse 3 is talking about. Rulers, right? when, when you do what is good, then do what is good and you'll receive their approval. Now, I love how, how Paul describes the government in verse 4. It says, he is the servant. He is God's servant for your good. Now, we often think about God's servants as only being in the church. But God's servants are everywhere. In fact, the word here for God's servant is deacon. The government is our deacon to help us. You might, might say that. In every squad car sits a servant of God. Behind every bench in a courtroom sits a servant of God. Every elected official is a servant of God, whether they know it or not. This again goes back to verse 1, that, that there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. These, these come from God, even if they're ungodly, having a care in the world for the Lord, they are still God's servants. Examples of that, Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar, Jeremiah 25, verse 9, the Lord identified Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that, that one is going to come and destroy Israel for their sin. He calls him my servant. In Isaiah 44, verse 28, the Lord called Cyrus, king of Persia, ungodly man. He calls him my shepherd who shall fulfill all my purpose. In the next verse, he calls Cyrus my anointed one, set in place, established by God to perform his purpose. And Cyrus was the one who issued a decree to rebuild Jerusalem and funded the effort from the government coffers of Persia. Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus are not godly men. They were God's servants, either to bless like Cyrus was or to curse like Nebuchadnezzar did. And that's how God works. He works through governmental authorities. They're servants of God. And, and even through corrupt servants, God still accomplishes his will. Just like he did through Nebuchadnezzar, a corrupt, proud man. Servants of God. It's just how God works all things in his providence. I don't know how he does, but he establishes all authority. So uh, last week, out of the blue, I received an email. We didn't solicit this at all. I received an email from a policeman in Lust Park. It's not like I, I didn't go to the police department and say, hey, I'm preaching on Romans 13. Like, right, that's what I like to do, right? Hey, I'm preaching on Romans 13. Can you give me a little insight here? No, this policeman emailed me last week. He said this, Pastor Steve Brandon, I'm a police officer for the city of Loves Park and would like to meet with you or someone from your staff to discuss safety measures that you have in place. I'd also like to get a general idea of how the building is laid out. When I started 22 years ago in the police force, I never thought I'd be asking pastors like yourself to discuss safety measures, but here we are. This is voluntary, but I hope to hear from you soon. There's a deacon of the church. 
servant of God wants to come and help serve us as a church. So this past Friday, right, two days ago, Paul Peterson and I sat down with this officer, this servant of God, and we talked about some security measures at Rock Valley Baptist, what we're doing, what we, what we could do, and uh, he came as a servant to us. He said, I'm not going to tell you anything you do. I just want to offer my help to you all just to help you guys think about these issues because they are, are big to think about in our day. And uh, with this passage in mind, I was able to affirm him as a servant of God. I said, you know, thanks for coming. I said, uh, you know, according to Romans 13, it says that you are a servant of God, and we just thank you for what you're doing. I affirmed him that, that we as a church are in full support of what he does and what his police department does, thanked him for his work, and, and told him of our desires as a church to be a blessing and to help him in whatever way is appropriate for us, to be eyes and ears on the neighborhood perhaps, or, or any way that we might have a relationship where we could serve them and they could serve us. So next time you pass a policeman, what should you say? Servant of God. In fact, I'm going to start something here at Rock Valley Bible Church, okay? Particularly for the kids. One of the games that our kids love playing is when they see a, a small Volkswagen. It's called a Volkswagen Bug, right? You know what game they play, right? What game they play? Slug Bug, right? They see a Slug Bug and it gives them permission to, bam, slug their brother or sister, right? Slug Bug, Here's what I want you to do, kids. From now on, you can, you can continue to play a slug bug game. It's probably a lot more fun, right? But I just want you to play the, the police car game, right? Whenever you see a police car, you say, Mom, Dad, look, a servant of God. Mom, Dad, look, a servant of God. Just constantly point that out. Constantly bring Romans 13, verse 4, into our, our minds that the policemen are servants of God. And perhaps when the Whirling lights come around and uh, stop you. What is that? And maybe mom and dad you'll say, it's a servant of God. <laughs> well, my, my fourth point this morning, resisting authority brings wrath. Okay, this is really the same thing, right? We, there's authorities established by God. We're called to submit to them. As we do, things go well. As we resist, it goes bad. It's resisting God, but also brings wrath. And that just, verse 4, at the end, he says, The servant of God, and here how he's a servant, he's an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. In other words, right? he's the one who's going to avenge for us, going to avenge the wrongs that, that have come against us, right? Because they come against us, and we don't avenge those wrongs. We do good. And we trust the government, we trust the police to avenge that. And I talked about this a bit already in connection with the Willis family, right? Our thoughts are not on punishment, Romans 12. That's for the courts to decide, Romans 13. And I just say, church family, we need to trust our government to avenge the wrongdoer. We ought not to take that into our own hands. Um, I think particularly in biblical times, right, in the Eastern context, this happens a lot. I've seen this in, uh, in Nepal. Right? Some wrong's done, and then what they do, they take, they take justice into their own hands, and they, they mob uh, and go out and are going to kill and take that in their own hands right, with their, their friends and their families. And that's why God established six cities of refuge for the people of Israel. If they accidentally killed someone, run to these places where you'll be safe because they weren't safe. And people should be safe until they have the government and the government will look, will establish the facts, will bring a trial, bring a fine, 
bring forth justice, whatever. And, and I just encourage you, it's right here, where, where if someone has wronged you, fight it with good. But secondly, don't hesitate to use the governmental um, authorities to, as leverage to get help. To vindicate yourself. I think you think about the widow, right? She, she continually went to the judge, right? Vindicate me from my enemies, right? I, I need help. I need help. Go to the judge. Go to the policeman when you need help. If there's a dispute you have with your neighbor <clears throat> that somehow escalates to be, be big enough, whether it's some property or some building or something like that, well, by all means, take it to the court. If you can't decide it among yourself, use, but, but don't venge against someone. Be, be peaceful with someone. Try it all you can to work it out with your neighbor. But when you just can't work it out and there's an issue of justice, a case, take it to the courts. Let the court decide. They're your avenger. Right? You've been wronged. The courts are there to avenge you, to help you. Domestic violence at home. When you're feeling in danger, or maybe you have a friend that's feeling in danger, Use the police. That's what they're there for. They're there when there's danger, physical danger. It's not for you to fight back. It's for the police to come in. Don't hesitate. You know, it's interesting that when the policeman came to meet with us this week, he just seemed so willing to help in whatever we could do. In fact, I talked with Paul, and uh, I talked with him beforehand about some things, and, and I, just, I, I just felt like, you know what, he does so much, I'm just not going to heap another burden on him of something maybe that could help us without a relationship there. Um, but Paul said he just seems so willing to help. And he is, and they are willing to do whatever they can do within their, their realm to call the police. Domestic violence, that's where, where it should be. Or maybe someone swindled you out a lot of money. Better Business Bureau, right? Go to the authorities, whether you have bank fraud. Go, go to your bank and go to, go to seek help. If some wrong has been done to you, I encourage you on a personal level to overcome with good. But as Romans 13 teaches, there is this higher level, this, this um, separated, disinterested party, if you will, not personally involved in the situation. They're the ones that can deal with things appropriately. And they have the power to it. They have the authority to do it. They have the sword. Right? They have the guns and the powers and the jails and the handcuffs to be able to deal with the, the situations. And, and thank be to God that, that they are servants of God. To bring wrath on your behalf for your safety and for your good. So we ought to submit to authorities. And next time we'll look at verse 5. How we should be in subjection. Right? For some reasons here and how we need to pay taxes. And we need to give honor and respect to whom it is owed. We ought to be model citizens as believers in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd help us to apply this passage. God, no exceptions given here today. Certainly there are, God, but I, I pray that by your grace you might help us, God, to, to see past the objections. God, not, not to see the loopholes, God, but to catch the flavor of Romans 13 in our own hearts. God, the authorities in life are, are given for us to submit to and obey. God, and you delight in that. Because that's how you have arranged your salvation, that we would submit and obey to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who is the sovereign ruler over all the earth. God, just thank you that there is no maverick molecule. God, nothing's outside of his control. 
God, there will be a day in which the whole kingdom is handed over to him. He hands it over then to the Father. God, in these things, we would, would pray, God, we would find ourselves submitting to you, submitting to Christ, submitting to the Holy Spirit. God, just our, our whole heart given to you. And, and I pray that that would work itself out as we submit ourselves in our human relationships. Give us wisdom also when we need to call in the, the sword, when we need to seek help from the government. I pray also just even verses 5 through 7 next time, God, that you would give us a spirit in this volatile political age, God, to speak rightly about the government, speak respectfully about the government, speak respectfully about our leaders. Um, God, so much discouragement, so much disparagement, so much slander and hatred fill this nation. May, they not be, may that not be true of us. God, you're the one that executes the wrath and the vengeance. We don't need to do that. So help us, O God, in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.